0: Vulnerability equals power ability. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody, the podcast that help those who listen feel more loved and connected through story sharing. My name is Aaron Mashbitz, and my mission is to help you realize your potential and capabilities through conversations and deep insights so you can make your prior best your new baseline. Nicholas Jordan Moore joins the podcast this week, and Nick recently released a memoir titled Who Am I? vulnerability equals powerability and we dive into this book we dive into losing his virginity his relationship with his dad how he views masculinity and we break down why vulnerability and self-love are so important in other news this podcast is brought to you by Amare Amare is the mental wellness company and i use their products every single day so click the link in the show notes scroll through all their products and see which ones might work best for you and your wellness needs. And then at checkout, use code EVERYBODY for $10 off your entire order. Now, on to episode 203 with Nicholas Jordan Moore. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Something for Everybody. My name is Aaron Mashwitz. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very excited to get into your memoir, your life, vulnerability, and all the stuff that that you're about now and and sort of how you got to this place. But before we do that, I have the most important question I want to ask you, which is, how are you doing? Like, actually, how
1: are you doing? I appreciate that question because it's very, very important. Um, Because it doesn't matter if I've written a book. It doesn't matter... What you know, you think from the outside. You never really know what somebody's going through on that day. So I, I think that's a really important question. Today I'm doing great. Um, woke up this morning and started hustling a little bit and sold a book this morning on the street. And it's been good. Uh, so how about you?
0: I'm doing good today. I'm doing good today. I've been um, a little overwhelmed as of recent, um, just based on some of the stuff that's happening in Israel because I have some family. Mm-hmm. I have some family that lives out there, some first cousins. So just worried about them and their safety and, and basically the mm-hmm. safety for everyone who happens to be in the middle of that. So that's been taking up a lot of my my mental space. But mm-hmm. um, trying to continue to take care of myself like I normally do. So that's always been helpful and having a supportive partner like I do is is extremely helpful. But I feel better today because I had a chat with my with my cousin and they're doing they're doing the best they can. So that, that gave me a little bit of sense of peace. So, yeah, thank you for uh, returning the question.
1: Yeah, man, of course.
0: It's interesting because I I feel like answering that question, how are you, and it goes hand in hand with vulnerability, right? Because as as you know, we want to be vulnerable, but it's not for everyone all of the time. And I think that goes the same for that question, how are you? Um, because you can tell in someone's like tone and how quickly they're moving, like how they want you to answer that question. You know what I mean? Because like, if I'm just passing someone in the grocery store and like, I don't know, I held the door before them and they're like, thanks man. How are you? I'm like, good. Cheers. Have a good day. You know, like that's a nice interaction. I understand that. How are you? But if I, if I want to get to know someone, I, I need to like look them in the eyes. I need to like, let them know sort of energetically That I'm giving them space to answer that question, and then that leads to the actual vulnerability part of it, Um, which again, it's it's not for everyone because some people will take it and they will, um, you know, they just won't treat it as as it should be treated with care, you know, and respect. But you have to sort of try that over and over again. I know it's hard uh, to sometimes people to throw that vulnerability back in your face, but. Just like, just like, you know, from sports, right? You just got to keep showing up and mm-hmm. eventually you're like, Oh, I get it. I get where my, my sort of vulnerability sweet spot is. And this is nice. I can live here. You know, I can feel this vibe. Uh, not a question there, but any, any sort of feedback on that?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. You know, when somebody's just passing, you know, you ask people how they're doing, it's just a cordial wave. Yeah. I'm doing great. Nobody, at least in those social instances, nobody's wanting you to just unload on them on what's going on in your life. But I know that's something that was really helpful in my last romantic relationship, which I'm still best friends with this person, but every morning we would have a little check-in. Um, and I think it's really important in any sort of in-depth relationship to give the other person and yourself the ability to talk about how you're doing. Cause we don't just all wake up and it's the same, Every day, there might be something on your mind that happened last night or whatever it might be, but that vulnerability and just giving people the, the space to be able to talk about what's on their mind, it's a really great way for us to connect more deeply as humans.
0: Yeah. How how do you define vulnerability? I know the title of your book is Vulnerability Equals Powerability. Uh, I know that's the subtitle, but do you do you have sort of a definition on how you explain it to people?
1: um so there's the vulnerability that's like okay i'm not gonna go walk through africa in the dark that's a different type of vulnerability there's a danger there or if i'm a single female walking down a dark alley in new york that's a different type of vulnerability and the type of vulnerability that i'm trying to advocate and the type of vulnerability that i'm trying to advocate is really being willing to let yourself be fully seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are all human. We all have things that we have shame, guilt, um, embarrassment about, or we think people just won't understand. And if we are able to have the courage to really take off the masks and be like, hey, this is, this is the stuff that I have. You know, we all have stuff um and it doesn't mean that you just need to unload on every single one of your friends or just anybody that you know you first meet just talking to them about anything and everything creating the right space for vulnerability is very important Um, you don't just want to tell someone something heavy without asking them for permission because you don't know what they have going on you know they may have you know lost a loved one you know the day before and they don't have the space and energy to be able to hold whatever it is you may be going through but the way that i see the vulnerability that i'm really trying to advocate is taking the masks off and really letting your true self be seen and some of us are so deep into the mask that we really are not even sure what it looks like underneath these masks because we've been playing these games and we've just been in these roles for so long that this is who i think i am this is who my friends think i am and this is all i know um so it's a it's a self you know reflection journey because Again, it starts when we're, we grow up in our households and our parents, we have these, this relationship and you know, like everybody's definition of dad, everybody's definition of mom, brother, sister, all these are very individualistic to you. We don't know what anybody else's life is like. So the more compassion that we can have for others and just more realizing, okay, I, I don't know what these people are going through. But the vulnerability is what starts the conversations to be able to actually get an idea and actually realize that we're a lot more alike than we think.
0: Yeah. Mm. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I've always thought of vulnerability as the combination of courage and truth. Mm. And that's basically how you summed it up, right? And. Mm and it starts with looking at the vulnerabilities obviously within ourselves. but that gives us such capacity to see another person fully. Because I know as myself, right, every person is flawed, I'm capable of good, I'm capable of evil as well. Like if another human being can kill another human being, I'm also a human being. So that means I have the capacity to do that. Now, what might push me to do that? um, What sort of brainwashing or anything that might happen might push me to do that? I have to be able to realize that I'm still a person capable of that. Now, can I push forward my light instead so I can see another human being in their light even through their worst moments? And I think that's where sort of this vulnerability can play a part, a huge part in building uh, relationships, right? But you have to build that relationship with yourself first, which is, which is what you're talking about, right? We have to look at these sort of deep, dark parts of ourselves that for probably for good reason that we had to shove away just to survive, like just to get through the fucking day or to like brush our teeth or to like do any sort of thing. We had to, and I get that. But maybe there's like a little point in time in your life where you can stop and try and and heal and try and go on a journey and try and figure some things out about yourself. And I think reading your memoir may give people permission to do that because they're seeing you share some of these stories that we're gonna talk about today that probably no one else would ever think about sharing but now I can think to myself, okay, I can talk about this to myself. I can be, you know, courageous and truthful. And then maybe that can help me move in the right direction. So I think, you know, as, as you know, right, that the power of a story is just, I mean, it's the whole world. It's how we, it's how we exist as people, the story. So I, you know, when people just put pen to paper and express their life or even on a podcast, it's still, uh, I feel like it's just a, it's a really magical thing. And uh, you know, even with all the technology and stuff, it's still right here with this. Uh, so even though we're in two different states using technology, so the power is both, I guess. But and
1: I, lo- I love exactly what you said, man. We all have the desire to be loved and accepted, but it starts with ourselves. Um, and the reason why I have so many people feel so comfortable with me and be able to open up to me about things is because... My authenticity is easy to see because I don't have anything to hide. You know, I, I'm, I'm willing and able to talk about some things that you would never want to tell anyone that you think people would hate you for and shame you for. But I'm living proof that we, you can open up about these things that you have shame and guilt about, and there's, you're going to be met with love and acceptance, and that's what I'm here to help people realize.
0: Yeah, you're leading by example. Uh, Thanks. the first thing I, I wanted to talk about, um really is how the way you grew up shaped your view of being a man and masculinity and how that led you to certain decisions in your life and then maybe how you view masculinity now, currently in this state that you are in. Sure.
1: So I grew up in Texas. You're very familiar with that because you did as well. Um I grew up in a very patriarchal household. My dad was a violent person. Um, and when I say violent, I don't mean that I was beaten. Um, I mean, I got slapped upside the head a little bit. It was more very loud, aggressive and scary. Um, so I, I was the youngest of three. So I was very lucky to kind of coast on easy street as I saw you know my brother and sister get into trouble i was like okay i'm just gonna avoid those things um but i did see my dad get into fights you know at my elementary football game he started a riot um and i saw him get in road rage um but those things as growing up i saw as a positive thing like after my dad got in that fight at my um mm-hmm. elementary football game my whole team saw my dad as the hero, you know, like, he's, he don't mess with Nick's dad. He's the tough one. And I wanted to be just like him. So I'm watching this example of my dad play a very dominating role in that household. You know, the decisions all went through him. Um, I was lucky to have a really loving mom. And since I was the youngest, I was the baby. I was really, I was a mama's boy. Um, but what does it mean to be a, a man? Well, it means I got to be not afraid to fight anyone. You know, I got to have the, the physical toughness and not show any fear. Um, and then it's proving my dominance over women. You know, the more women I can sleep with, or at least, you know, have in my life or like me, whatever it may be. That's number two. And then the third one, which it takes a little bit more time because it's once you're out of college, is making money. Those are really the the three big things that I saw Is okay, that's how you be a man. You need to prove that you're not scared, prove your physical dominance or that you're not afraid to fight people and prove my dominance over women. And I remember growing up that I didn't want to be the first one or I didn't wanna be the last of my friends to lose their virginity. You know, we all saw that as an important thing. Um, and those decisions, or I guess that, that shaping of me really set me up. Um, and again, I saw myself as a good guy. Um, even the girlfriend that I was with for throughout high school, I cheated on her. Um, I wasn't the best guy, but In a lot of ways i I was still a a, a good guy um but and it's so you know when i didn't think that i was actually capable of doing what happened when i was 16 and just to let the audience know i am going to talk about something heavy right now because this was a big turning point in my life that ultimately years later came back around and this one instance when i was able to be vulnerable about this and actually own up to my mistake or own up to what i did it opened up the floodgates of understanding vulnerability and really set me on the path that i'm on today um but i've been together with my girlfriend for right over a year at that point we had talked about having sex after we had been together for a year she grew up church of christ which is incredibly strict Christianity and, you know, she didn't want to have sex till she was married. And, you know, one day we had been doing all the other sexual activities and I was trying to convince her, let's do it. And, you know, I would slipped in and then I would accidentally sleep, slip in. And as soon as I did that, as soon as I slipped in purposefully, but said it was on accident, that's a form of rape. And I didn't think that I was raping my girlfriend at that point, but I definitely was. If any time that you're doing any sort of sexual act and it's not fully consensual, then something to really reflect on, on, all right, what am I doing? Am I respecting people's boundaries? But outside of that, and even worse uh, than just the slipping in part, one day we're messing around and went in and she said, Nick, stop. I said, you yeah, know, it's, it's okay. I was just trying to convince her. And then she said, stop again. I said, it's okay. And then I took her silence as consent. And you know, this happened very quickly. I go in for a few more, and then I have a satisfactory release and immediately I'm met with horror. You know, I see that she's crying and I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, I it happened very quickly and i could not believe what just happened and i'm trying to make sense of it and um uh, this was something that i held a lot of shame and guilt around for a long time um, later that night for us to make it better because in her mind she the way that she rationalized it was okay well i didn't get off so i didn't have sex well if I had sex, but she didn't have sex, then what did that mean that I did? Mm. And I couldn't accept, you know, when I was 16 years old, I couldn't accept the thought of that I'm a rapist or, or I raped my girlfriend, you know, it just, I, I couldn't deal with that. So later that night to make it better, we had consensual sex and then that continued, but over three and a half years, we stayed together. And then the only reason why I broke up with her is because my brother told me not to bring the girlfriend to college. And her life spiraled out of control, uh, from that point forward, um, because of the guilt and shame that she had around, you know, being in the household that she was in with the church of Christ. And I didn't realize like how big of an impact that would have on her going forward. But ultimately years later, she ended up in a really messed up situation and I felt responsible. Um, Yeah, I don't know how much further you want me to get into that story. You asked, um, now, how do I look at masculinity? I think the most masculine thing that we can do is bring, I mean, you know, being a man, we say is having courage. Well, when I was growing up, I thought it was having courage in the face of physical danger. Like I can, yeah. Yeah. I can fight that guy. Like, I'm not going to back down from a fight. I have courage or I'll go jump off that cliff. I'm not scared. Well, these physical things that, you know, we're trying to prove our toughness about. The biggest thing that we can truly do as men to really show our true courage is to be incredibly vulnerable and talk about the things that we are, we do have some fear about or the, you know, the things that we are really scared to talk about or the emotional aspects that we go through as men and you know, we all, it, it's tough because we we're trying to, we all just want love. That's what all of this stems from. We just want to be accepted. We want to want people to love us. And we think the way to do that is to put on these masks that okay, I have to be this way or this way and this way in order for people to love me. When the most beautiful, powerful version of you is the the scared little boy underneath it all, if you're willing to let that be seen, and that scared little boy is like, that's all I wanted. I just I just wanted to be seen. And now that I I've I've opened up wow, now I actually really do feel courageous. You know, now I really you know, a lot of that fear is gone because the biggest fears that we, a lot of of us have is that we won't be loved and and accepted if we show our true selves when our true selves is the most beautiful version of us. Hopefully that answered the question that you were looking for. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, beautifully.
0: Thank you for Thank you for being uh, honest. I appreciate that. Um, before we talk about a little bit more about masculinity, I, I want to ask you, how did that relationship with your girlfriend uh, when you were uh, in high school, how did that impact your relationships in college and beyond? Because I know in college you were an athlete, uh, as was I, and those relationships, uh, they're, they're, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but. Um, it's different. I, I, for me, at least I went to college as a virgin and I didn't lose my virginity until my second semester of my freshman year. Um, but the girl I lost my virginity to didn't know because I was too embarrassed to tell her that it was my first time. Um, obviously she probably just knew and then told her friends maybe afterwards, but, uh, I didn't tell her cause I thought that was like super lame. And I was, you know, um, and so that, 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 not uh getting the attention of women in high school led me to do a lot of things that I probably wouldn't do now to get the attention of females. Um and just so it's it's interesting what you don't get, how you you know overcorrect to sort of get what you want. And then later in life you realize that there's like this this middle ground where you can sort of be who you are and and that really attracts the the right things into your life. But it does take a bit of experience, like just living and doing different things. But some of those experiences can be really challenging. And the worst part is that they're like, you hurt some people along the way, which is, which sucks. But like, I don't know if there's a, if there's another way to really learn these things rather than like really being like in something with someone and like learning, like that's not the right way or that's not appropriate or that's not how you ask for that. Or that's not how you approach that. Um, It just has to be living through it. And you know, unfortunately, we all have those scars to show. But, you know, as you're saying, some of those scars, if, if we can connect with them, sort of bring out this true essence of, of who we are ultimately uh, going forward. So uh, I say all that to say, how did that impact your relationships, you know, moving forward beyond that?
1: Yeah, and I definitely had a double, double standard for women. You know, it was okay for me to cheat on them, but it was not okay for them to cheat on me. And even throughout college, I didn't, I didn't really cheat on girlfriends too much in college, but I still had this mindset that I'm looking for the next best thing. Like this is just temporary and it's, I was selfish. Like most of us are, um, at least as we're trying to figure out this whole love life thing and trying to prove that I'm a man. You know, I'm yeah, just trying to prove that we are something. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a difficult thing to think about going forward because I, I wanted to think that I was a good guy. You know, we all have this idea that, you know, I'm a good guy, you know, I might have done some bad things, but you know, you know, I'm, I'm good. And. The things I believe that we will continue to do. So let's say that I was never able to own up about what happened when I was 16. I believe that if I wasn't able to actually talk about that and come clean about that, that that pattern in some way, form or another is going to come back. And, you know, you were talking about, Aaron, that the only way or like one of the best ways to learn is through experience. And I definitely agree with that. But as humans, in my opinion, the one of the best ways that we also learn is through storytelling.
0: Mm.
1: Um, I don't know how it was for you, but in my household, the way that my parents thought that they could raise the best children is to not show them the mistakes that they made. So, for example, my dad has a scar on his back that he told me growing up that he got He had some elaborate um, farm injury when he actually had a tattoo that he had removed. And then my uncle told me about this years later. I'm like, why would my dad lie about that? And then he also told me that my dad was married to his high school sweetheart. and Then he had gotten divorced. So if we're going to really try to help the next generation not have to go through as many mistakes, then we have to be brutally honest about really difficult things that we may have shame or guilt about, or that we just don't want anyone to see because my children one day, I don't have any children right now, but I I plan on being a dad at some point, you know, they're going to have the ability to read my book and they're going to read about all sorts of really messed up things and embarrassing things. And like that, most people would never want anyone to know, especially their kids. And the truth about this vulnerability is that if we want to raise a better future generation, then we have to really be brutally honest and be open about these things because our culture has shaped us into like this definition of masculinity that we grew up with. That's a culture thing. That's not, all around the world you know everywhere is a little bit different this is pretty specific to america and probably more specific to the south um but all around the world these conversations are similar but there's differences but i hope that my book will encourage someone else in another country at some point to tell their story and it to impact their culture in a way, because there's all sorts of normalcies in cultures that, you know, Hey, it's okay for guys to cheat or sleep with a lot of women. It's not okay for girls to sleep with a lot of guys. That's slutty. If a guy does it, you know, he's a pimp, (laughs) you know, whatever, you know, that was a cool term growing up. Um, Jay-Z made it a cool term. (laughs) Um, but and you yeah, it's just this double standard that we're all human, we're all looking for love, and we all just want to be accepted. But the way that we can really do that the best is by letting ourselves be seen and opening up. Yeah, I mean, especially for
0: the the new generation, the younger kids, you know, talking about this stuff. I, I heard a father who has some young kids talk about every night they eat dinner together, and he asked his children, what was your what was your best mistake you made today? Let's talk about it. You know, and I love that because you're just opening up about a mistake you made. Oh, oh, I uh forgot to zip my backpack and all my books fell out and I was kind of embarrassed. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Great. Did anything happen? No. I just Okay, great. Like whatever the mistake is, or like you know, I don't know. Like, you know, uh, but like being able to just express the fact that we are gonna make mistakes, we're gonna make them often and you know what's the best one you made today and then when something really maybe catastrophic happens uh if it's avoidable great but if it's not it happens then we're more likely to be able to just face it head on to not shove it down to face that darkness and then face it with other people because we're used to telling other people about the mistakes we made you know because normally we try to to try to play off that we're perfect and you know no perfect person has ever existed You and I and everyone listening will not be the first ones. So if we can accept that fact, you know, we can strive for excellence. I like high standards. I think that's important. But high standards don't mean that you never make a mistake. They mean, actually, you make mistakes more often than not. And then you're able to improve upon those things. Okay, I I just I didn't communicate that very well. Let me think about that. Okay. Uh, my partner told me that I said that in the wrong way. Okay, how can I reframe it next time to, to come across to still say my wants and my needs? Because that's very important, but say it in a way that that's receptive and not condescending or hypocritical or, you know, all of those sort of back and forth. So if we can start young kids with that, um, because a lot of the stuff is very heavy, but if I can just ask a seventh grader, like, hey, what was, you know, what did you make a mistake on today? Oh, that's cool. Nice. Good job. What to have effort, what to try, what to show up, like all of that good stuff. And then, and then the masculinity part for young boys is really challenging these days you know because there's a there's a there's a modern healthy version of masculinity that encompasses all of these traits that encompasses all of these traits that encompasses the the ability to be tough but knowing how to have it under voluntary control like using violence and fighting as an absolute 100% last resort Last resort. If I can talk my way out of it, if I can just be kind, if I could just get out of the situation, move away. But if I'm in a dark alley and there's my family and someone comes to try to, you know, take them, I have to stand up for that. That's, that's okay. So we need that capacity, but that's a last resort. If I can avoid it at all costs, great. Understanding what my emotions are, that I have emotions, not that I have to, again, be vulnerable to everyone all the time. Nobody wants that. But you know, I'm vulnerable to myself. Okay. I had a hard day. That was a hard day. I can tell that to myself. I don't have to, like no nope, perfect day was perfect, everything was great, all great, all good. No, no, no. Cuz then when you talk about it to yourself, you can talk about it with others. Um, you know, and then being able to dial in on on our purpose and meaning and understanding that women are these divine creatures that we should treat with the utmost respect. And if we elevate women, that means that as men we have to elevate ourselves to reach these high standards that they're putting themselves on, which they absolutely should because They're, you know, these magical beings that can have humans come out of them. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, (laughs) I wouldn't imagine being able to do that. And so, like, I think there's a lot of adversary between men and women right now, just uh, sort of in the modern dating market. I don't know if you look at that a lot, but as men, we have to take responsibility. We have to take responsibility and ownership over our lives and say that I can come to terms with who I am and my emotions and that I can ask for help, but I'm also capable and confident and competent and I can do shit and all of that stuff sort of combined together to create a healthy version of masculinity, not one that suppresses or one that wants to be tyrannical or powerful in a in a bad way. Um, so a lot of those things are really, really important. But you have to you have to go out in your life and you have to experience things and read about people and have role models to to
1: show you those things. Aaron, I I really love what you said and I'm really glad that you brought up you know, the, the fighting thing or like the ability to protect because that's in our DNA, you know, for thousands, thousands of years, us men have been, Hey, if there's a conflict going on, we have to go out and protect, or we have to go to war or whatever it may be. Um, And in the, in the recent years, there's been somewhat of a shift to really pushing that aspect of masculinity down. And that can actually be a negative part. Um, I, in, in my life, I saw violence as, um, or I saw it being used in some not positive ways and violence in general. Again, like you said, avoided at every single possible cost. Um, but it can be a very, very healthy way for us to, like, as men, we have testosterone. We, and we all, even women, you know, we're going to get angry sometimes. There's ways to healthily express these things. And, you know, like you do jujitsu. Um, I think having outlets like that are very, very important. Um, even just ways to all right, if punch a pillow for 10 minutes, whatever it may be, but letting out some of that aggressiveness. And I know men in my life, um, that have never, not once expressed any anger in any sort of way like that. And I honestly think that if you aren't able to like, try to find a way to healthily express that, then you're holding something back within us because there's something that a, aggressive, that testosterone, that like that feeling of power. Um, it's an interesting balance because yes, there's the tyranny, there's the the unhealthy version, but feeling powerful is an important feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, if you can embrace that and, you know, I'm a big believer in positive body language, not okay. I'm looking at you and I'm reading your body language, but body language within ourselves. Mm. So if I'm sitting here and I cross my arms, I'm telling my body and there being signals going through my brain that I'm scared or I need to be protected or I need to stay small. And there's a Ted talks about this, but if I am opening up and making myself big and really trying to embody this powerful being all all powerful it's, it's bringing me more of my authentic self, which that's what we're all truly looking for. We're trying to find, because Aaron, there is a creative, beautiful being within you that we're all seeing some of it right now. Um, but infinitely beautiful and unique to you and you only, and we all have that it's just we've all piled on all these definitions and all these things that society hey i'm supposed to be this or i'm supposed to be that or whatever it may be when if we can just start taking off layer by layer and really starting to uncover um we find out the the thing that's underneath it all is the most most beautiful and powerful thing that we have but it's this interesting concept in society today because we have kind of pushed down masculinity um some i mean i think it's good because it's been patriarchal for a long time and that's the way the world's been run for a very long time so swinging on the other end of the spectrum for a little bit of time is what we've needed but we need to find that balance we need to find where it's an even keel that we can express our powerful testosterone. Hey, I'm a man. Like there, there's an interesting balance that we can express that, but still be incredibly soft, incredibly vulnerable, incredibly real, not trying to put on the front that, Hey, I'm, I'm some big bad man that isn't scared of anything. I can, I can tell you that I'm afraid of things and still be hundred percent a man. And Courage, you know, isn't about not being afraid of things. It's about witnessing the fear and still being willing to step into that. Um, writing about some of the things in my book, it's it's like, oh man, I don't know how people are going to take this, but Hey, I'm, I'm believing in this concept that I can tell it all and it's going to be okay. And I'm living proof that it is. Yeah.
0: If anyone, uh, if anyone tells you that they never get scared, they're either uh, stupid or dead. <laughs> Do that. You know, because I think when we start to face our fears, we don't get less scared. The fear will always be there. We just get more brave. And there's a huge, yeah. huge difference between those two. The fear never goes away. Like I have um, – I've had really bad night terrors since I was very young. I'm still, like, I get a little anxious, like, when it's really dark, and I wake up, and I can't see anything, but having a partner next to me, like, has been a saving fucking grace, Um, just to know, like, someone's there, and there's safety, Um, uh, so that's, like, really really nice, but I'm still scared, but I've gotten more brave over time to know that sleep is good for me, like, I've been safe, like, things will be okay, like, um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah. But if anyone tells you they don't get scared, those two things (laughs) right.
1: Like the example for me is like swimming far out in the ocean. Like I I, I'll swim very, very far out. It doesn't mean that you know, I still don't feel a little bit of you know, there's that little bit of uneasiness that still will come every once in a while, but it's just pushing through that and just you know, again, just like you said, the fear doesn't disappear. It's just you feel stronger, you feel more brave.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with with, with having uh, conversations that feel also scary. Mm-hmm. Like, we both know Brene Brown, you've read her book, she says, oh, yeah. let's get awkward, brave and kind. Okay, I can do that. I get it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel awkward right now. But I can get brave. And I can try and be kind, especially when I'm talking about things that are just really, you know, really challenging. Um, and speaking of, you know, one of those things. Great segue here. Uh, <laughs> um, what's your What's your relationship with your dad like these days?
1: Um, I actually got a cease and desist letter from my brother and dad um, at the beginning of September. That was right when my book was released, um, trying to get me to stop um, distributing the book. I'm very well aware that I'm in my First Amendment right. There is a disclaimer at the beginning of the book, and you've read. I believe most of it, I don't claim that I know anything as fact. It's just a very personal story that they, this is my truth. This is, this is what I experienced. Um, but I can definitely understand that they, and I had a feeling that they were going to try to do everything in their power to stop me from telling this story because again, um, and I haven't shared this with the audience, so I'll go ahead and, um, talk about this. My life fell apart about eight and a half years ago. And that's really what sparked the big change in my life. Because when your whole life feels like a lie and you're ready for something new, you know, sometimes the universe gives you exactly what you need, but it's not the way that you want it. Um, but about eight, eight and a half years ago, I ended up calling CPS on my dad because I believed that he had, sexually molested my niece um she was nine nine and a half at the time that i witnessed what i witnessed it wasn't that i witnessed something explicit you know but it did the situation didn't make sense to me um and there were other things throughout my life that had been kind of swept under the rug that now my brain is just going back to but like oh my god like so my life completely blew up. My brother refused to believe it. My sister's in denial. I believe it. It happened to my sister growing up as well. That's, that's my belief. And that in some ways, my sister has protected my dad, um, you know, as he was doing things with her daughter. Um, and I know that can be a very difficult thing to even wrap any of our minds around and this is why i mean i was pissed off at god you know or the universe whatever you want to call it like why would such terrible things exist if if there's a good god um and my understanding aaron is that my dad has to be him for me to be me you know i didn't know at the point that i didn't know that i was going to have this poetry to share with people i didn't know that i was going to have this book to share with the world and I believe wholeheartedly that my book is making a significant impact on the world. Um, it It's still fresh, so it's only been out for a little over a month, but I believe that even after I'm gone, my book will still be impacting lives um, because we this is something that needs to be talked about. And the really difficult part to grasp sometimes, like, well, man, why would anyone that was abused, protect the abuser and allow them to continue to abuse someone else. And if a pedophile is good at what they're doing, the most difficult thing for the victim is that if they enjoyed the abuse or if there was any part of them. So, I mean, if you're a child being touched in a sexual way it doesn't matter who's touching you it's you you're gonna get some good feelings if they're doing it you know if they're good at what they're doing they're gonna make it feel good and then there's all this confusion it's like oh my god well i i enjoyed that so i'm i to blame too and it just shoves it down and there comes all this self-hate and it's a really complex thing that happens and you know psychology can dig into that for days you know i'm not a psychologist but i know that if the child experiences any sort of pleasure which again if the pedophile is is skilled at what they're doing or whatever way you want to look at that um then they're gonna make it seem like you know the child hey it's their choice too they liked it they were and then it that really can mess up a child's uh, understanding and then at some point they realize, okay that wasn't right but i liked it what's wrong with me is that my fault too or you know whatever it might be um but yeah i was really really depressed and i was suicidal at that point and um that's when i was teaching high school geometry at grapevine high school and ended up extracting DMT in my kitchen. Um, and that's when everything really shifted. Um, you know, I don't think that psychedelics are the answer to everything, but if you're incredible, if you're suicidal and you, you know, Lynn or Teal Swan would say, Hey, if you're suicidal, just go kill yourself. I'm not on that boat. You know, there are other things to explore. These psychedelic medicines, magic mushrooms, dimethyltryptamine, they're all on earth to, to help us evolve. Um, so if you're really at the, your lowest point and you've tried therapists, you've tried other modalities, it's something to explore, at least do some research about before you just say, Hey, I can't handle it anymore. I'm done. Um, it was something that really greatly impacted my life and opened me up. But, um, my dad has to be him for me to be me. Hmm. yeah the
0: the part about god that you talked about hits me pretty hard um i i lost my big sister rachel in Mm. in 2018 and thank you thank you you, nick and just like just like you right you want to be able to sort of like, I wanted to have someone to blame it on. She she took her own life. And um, so I, I wasn't, I, like, I knew that she struggled. She had a lot of illnesses and, and a lot of hard-fought battles and things like that. So I wasn't, I didn't view her um, suicide as selfish like a lot of people do. Um, I, I didn't uh, take it like, like she didn't love me. I didn't take it like any of that because I knew I had a really good relationship with her. But I needed someone to blame it on, or else I was going to blame it on me for not being a good enough brother, for not spending enough time with her, for not living near her because I moved away to pursue my wrestling career, you know? So I blamed God. That was the person I could blame. And I was speaking with my Aunt Michelle about it, and I was like, I don't—because don't, I'm, I'm Jewish. It's very important to me. It, I lost it for a little bit there after this, but I recently— um, it's become a really important part of my life, and I'm getting married next year, and, and so things like that. But anyways, that's- thank you. So I was speaking with her, and I was like, I, I don't believe in God anymore. Like, uh, how could he do this? Like, how could bad things happen? And she was like, simply the fact that you want to blame it on God means that you do believe in God. And I said, "That's that's very— like, that makes a lot of sense. So I can't blame it on something that I don't actively believe is there, the universe, fate, whatever you want to call it. So it is there, okay? So now I go through this, this sort of healing journey, similar to, you know, the awful moment that put you on the healing journey, same way as is, is, is me. I think pain is the only motivator for change, and I think our moments were pretty painful. And you, And then I come to realize that there has to be these dark moments for us to wholeheartedly appreciate the light if everything was good all the time we still wouldn't appreciate it and as human beings living in this world now we very very rarely are actually grateful for this fucking beautiful thing that we we have that we have the best shit that we've ever had in the whole history of the universe yes i know things are not good I, I understand that there's some bad things and, and yes i understand that but currently right now we have the best we've ever had it and we're still not very appreciative and grateful so it's almost like yes we need to be seen we need to be shown these dark moments so we can actually understand the preciousness and the beauty that exists right in front of us every single day Um, and now that took me a long time to figure that out. Now, if you're someone who's like in the trenches right now, don't worry about learning the lesson, worry about surviving to the next day, worry about just getting to the next day. And that's the, that's the strongest thing you can do when time passes and you get a little space in between you and the thing, and you have time to digest and reflect. Now you can think about, okay, what's happening? Where do I want to go with this? Um, and that's important as well. Um. Because we we talk a lot about, especially in the personal development world, about you have to every challenge is uh, opportunity for growth. Every obstacle is learning for growth, and I think that's true about with ninety five percent of things. But there's like five percent of things that just are that fucking suck. That just are they're shitty, and you you just have to get through them. You just have to survive them. You don't need to learn this profound lesson. You just got to get through them. Um, And once you do get through them there can be a lesson learned past that moment, but you got to survive it. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're part about God um, that, that hit me, you know, pretty good. So thank you.
1: And then I agree with that, the whole 95, 5% thing. And that 5%, I think the thing that it is trying to teach us is just acceptance. Mm. Um, I think acceptance is one of the most powerful positions that we can be in. It's like, okay, like, like, it's funny, one of the small things, like really, really small things that came to my mind is like mosquito bites, or like ant bites, or like little physical pains. Like, is that teaching me something? Am I going to learn some profound experience from stubbing my toe? You know, that hurt like hell. <laughs> what was that for? Well, uh, these very subtle things. Uh yeah, but I, I just thought I'd comment on your little five percent because that, that was the first thing that came to my mind.
0: <laughs> what did um, what were your some of your revelations that you learned about yourself through your usage of psychedelics?
1: The biggest one is that there is infinite possibilities within me that I am literally, and that you are too. That every single one of us has. Infinite power within us Um, You know, almost all religions talk about that God is within you, you know, God's in your heart God God's inside you Um, And I don't know if we take that literally enough Um, Of course we're in physical bodies, so we are bound and it's not like we're experiencing all of our infinite power We're being limited to what we're in right now, so Um, knowing that I'm not, my body was a big aha, that this is just a temporary vessel that I'm here to learn every bit of suffering, every, well, other than like the mosquitoes and the ants, stuff like that, or stubbing my toe. Um, but the suffering is really here to teach us something and the more we can really, grasp that, hey, Aaron, I'm looking at a reflection of myself that, hey, and you know, Jesus says, and you know, I know you're Jewish, but like all the holy, most of the holy words say, hey, treat your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we take that literal enough because a lot of times we think that, okay, I just need to, you know, I want to treat myself well, but it's, quite literal that the way that I treat myself in my head, the night, the, so if I'm negative to myself, if I'm even if I'm mad at technology, like whatever you're getting mad about, I believe that everything is a reflection of ourselves. So the more pissed off you are in traffic, the more, all of that is a reflection on how you're treating yourself in your head. And we believe that, you know, I can be pissed off in traffic but I'm not going to treat my friends that way. Well, it just comes off in, in more subtle ways, but that pissed off, like getting mad at your phone or getting mad at anything, everything I believe, the way I see it, is that every single thing is a part of me. So the way I treat a blade of grass or the way I treat a dog or the way I treat whatever it might be the person that cuts me off in traffic is how i'm ultimately treating myself am i having compassion for that person am i having more compassion for myself Um, i believe the mirror is a really powerful way to practice that um you know there's that saying that you know we can only love others as deeply as we love ourselves and a lot of us think that no i can I'm living with a guy right now and he really, you know, he thinks that he, his girlfriend left him, you know, a couple months ago, but he was like, I was a great boyfriend. I was, I did everything I could, you know, I was, I was all these great things, but he doesn't realize there's, there's an even way higher level of existing that he didn't know because he was so hard on himself all the time. He's like beating himself up. He's not nice to himself. He's not nice to himself in the mirror. Well, I promise you all those things are reflecting in your, your outside life. Um, and it's hard to see when you're in it, you know, we think, you know, I I can be tough on myself, but I still love other people, you know, but it's, um, it can be a tough one to really wrap your mind around.
0: Is that why you started doing your Instagram videos in front of a mirror?
1: Yeah, so that first started um you know, I was actually tripping on acid with some friends and I was telling them, you know, I had already had that realization that all right, you can only love others as deeply as yourself. Love yourself. So the mirror the it's so literal. Like the more you love on that person in the mirror, the more love you're going to have for everyone you come in contact with. So I kept on telling my friends, I was like, Hey, next time you go to the bathroom, tell that son of a bitch, tell him, tell him he's awesome. Tell him you love him. And then I was like, all right, we, I'm making a video. And then as soon as I did one, um, the feedback I got, of course, like my feedback from people that knew me from high school thought I was crazy, Mm -hmm. but feedback from people that didn't know me, they were like, Hey, that's really awesome. Keep, they loved it. I was like, all right, I'm just going to keep on doing this. And it got weirder and weirder. The more serious you are with that person in the mirror, the more serious you are going to be with everyone you come in contact with. And we're all children inside. We all have an inner child that a lot of us through growing up have been taught that I need to put that child away. Now I'm an adult. I have to be serious. I have to dude. It's so freeing to build a, come up with accents, like have fun. Usually we only let that inner child be seen by the person that we're in a romantic relationship with. Like once we build that level of comfort and then we can actually just start having fun and play. But what if we're giving everyone permission to let that child be seen and that it's okay that, Hey, we're all we're all goofy. We're all, we all like to have fun. We all like to dance. And if you don't like to dance, that's just because you you have this judgment around what you look like dancing. You're worried about what other people are thinking because the less you care about what other people think, the more other people are actually going to like you. (laughs) It's a contradictory thing. the The more you don't care at all about the opinions of others, the more people are actually going to like you. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm living proof of that. Like I, my, I've had some weird videos online, <laughs> especially <laughs> at the beginning, I was, I was doing some interesting ones, but uh, I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in really being easy on yourself, being goofy with yourself, having fun with yourself, laughing at yourself. Um, Cause we're, we all have it, man. And, and the more we can let that inner child shine, Interesting enough, that's actually where your most beautiful creative self lies as well. You know, that that child in there is where all the creativity comes from. So if you can let that child be seen and actually feel more comfortable to be seen, you're going to start realizing that, oh man, I I forgot that I was good at this, or I forgot that you you have a lot more talents or whatever it may be that you may have forgot that you have, or, or passions or whatever you like to do.
0: Yes, there is nothing more important than how you treat yourself. Mm. That's a quote directly from your book. That's a quote directly (laughs) from your book, page 345, baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, But, I mean, it's true. It's true. Um, And that's not to get confused with, like, being a self-indulgent, selfish person. Like, I'm the most important. No, just, like, how I treat myself, how I take care of myself, allows me to then be in greatest service to the world. That's the idea. And I think that that's the, that's the most beautiful part about it. Um, and so thank you, uh, Nick for writing your book, for going through, uh, everything that you went through for enduring it all and sharing it all. Um, where should people go if they want to buy your book, everything that you say will be linked in the show notes, but let's just tell people anyways.
1: Sure. Yeah. So if you just want to read the first chapter for free and kind of get an idea of, of my writing, you can go to vulnerabilitybook.com dot com. Um, on that site, you'll be able to read the first chapter for free. And then there's a link to the Amazon account where you can go and buy the book. Or if you just say, hey, I really like what Nick was talking about. Um, I like the sound of his voice. I could listen to him talk for eight and a half hours. Well then, go on. Then just go straight to Amazon. Search for "Who Am I." Um, it should pop up on the first page. My audiobook. By the time that this drops, I believe that the audiobook will be available. It should be available by the end of this month. So by the beginning of November. Perfect. Um. So yeah, if you just go to Amazon, type in "Who Am I," Nicholas Jordan Moore. It should pop up. It's my face. Um. I didn't bring a book out on the porch with me, but I do have a picture of, and I can show y'all that is what the cover of the book looks like. Um, and yeah, but if you would just want to read that first chapter and check out more, you can. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, best way to do that is P-A-P-A underscore infinite Papa infinite. And there's a funny story on how i got given that name at, at one point but um yeah i really appreciate you having me here, and I, I love what you're doing uh, we need more people like yourself that are willing to have the not so easy conversations all the time the ones that really we're all here to walk each other home and i don't think that just because you're not having a big podcast like Aaron or writing a book like Nick, that your life isn't as important. Every single one of us are just as important as the other, whether you're helping one person or a million people. It's all the same. We're all here together. The best thing you can do for the entire world is to work on yourself.
0: Beautiful. Perfect way to uh, end this lovely conversation. So if you enjoyed it, follow follow Nick, read the book. Highly, highly recommend it. And uh, thank you, my friend. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you for tuning in to that episode with Nicholas Jordan Moore. What idea stood out to you the most? What idea resonated with you most deeply that you could potentially implement into your life starting right now? And if you enjoyed that episode, please share it with a friend. Because the podcast grows from people like you sharing it with people like you. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, or even on Good Pods. But the absolute best way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporter via Patreon. Patreon directly supports me, this podcast, and my mental health nonprofit, You Are Loved. So click the link in the show notes, scroll through all the tiers, and see which one might work best for you. But most importantly, most importantly, above all else, please, please take good care of yourselves and others. And I'll see you next time. Lots of love. Cheers.